Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all of our hopes, mind and spring, we gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are, you worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come, 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 come. Doesn't want to change. <laughs> Some days I can't read it even if it does, so it doesn't matter. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the righteousness we did not attain, you have provided. For the punishment that was due to us, you have taken on on our behalf. You have provided us grace and mercy and sanctification. You have strengthened us to walk in faithfulness. You have turned our hearts and our minds to know the truth and to walk within it. Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen us, that by your mercy, our lights would shine and this world would be changed for your good, for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Remember how you told me that life may not be easy and everything that I know you've already given me. I remember how you told me I could trust you completely. So why am I doubting when you proved that you'd fight for me? Walk me through fire, pull me from flame. If you're in this with me, I won't be afraid. When the smoke builds higher, open and it feels like I can barely breathe. Walk through these fires, cause you're walking with me, changed by your mercy, covered by your peace. I'm living out the victory. Doesn't mean I won't feel the heat. You walk me through fire, pull me from flame. If you're in this with me, I won't feel afraid. When the smoke fills higher, falling higher. Feels I can barely breathe. Walk through these fires, cause you're walking with me. I can face anything, cause you're here with me. I can do all things, cause you Remember how you told me the price of my redemption. Lord, how could I question when you proved that you died for me? You walked me through fire, pulled me from flames. If you're in this with me, I won't be afraid when the smoke fills higher, walking higher, 
fields I can barely breathe. I walk through these fires, cause you're walking with me. I walk through these fires, cause you're walking with me. mine in the back not knowing when to stop clapping all right i changed the slide <laughs> never understood why we called it good news half the time the news doesn't always feel so good so if you're just bugged i'll change it back but i just figured every once in a while it wouldn't hurt all right um church council today stick around please a couple of things we got to figure out um i didn't write down the times wait a minute wait a minute and i didn't put it in the bulletin I can't get half of this right. So Saturday, here, 6 o'clock, music. So there will be a concert here Saturday. So this is the stuff they've been working on. So you're welcome. You're invited. So 6 o'clock Saturday here. That's the 22nd. I apologize for any mistakes that are in the bulletin. I did it. So you'll find 27, I'm sure. But still read it. There's probably useful information in there somewhere. <laughs> um, other reminder, next Sunday is the 23rd. It is the fourth Sunday of the month. That, I did remember to get in there. So next Sunday, we have a business meeting and lunch. So bring food, lunch, fun will be had by all. There you go. All right, anything else that I am forgetting? I remember to stay. Go team. All right. What two cities were destroyed by burning sulfur? Sodom and Gomorrah. You knew that. Now, here's the thing. Why? They were They were evil. Well, but how many people have been evil in how many places and they didn't get fire from heaven? <laughs> they, they were the lucky ones. That's a warped view of life. I feel sorry for everybody in your house. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's me. I know. Now, now you wonder why I am the way that I am. See? See what I have to live with? <laughs> Uh-oh, we got Denny riled up. I better behave. All right. In a nutshell, did this is a this is one that works for two narratives in your Old Testament. Did the flood wipe out sin? No. Was God surprised by that? No. No. Did the burning down of Sodom and Gomorrah destroy sin and the sins that they were committing? No. No. Was God surprised by that? No. So why do it? If the answer is not to eliminate sin, then there's got to be something else going on. How do you know God will judge sin? Because he's demonstrating it in how he deals with humanity. How do you know that in the midst of that judgment, there will be blessing and preservation of God's people? Because in the flood, you have Noah and family. And even in Sodom and Gomorrah, you have on the, on the accountant for the sake of Abraham, you have the redemption of Lot. And let's be honest, as Lot progresses through that story, are you rooting for Lot at all, honestly? You're like, just leave already. And he's like, well, you know, there's family and the daughters and... And even after that, none of that family deserves it. You can see that in the actions after they're there. But the grace of God covers, the mercy of God perseveres, and his people who he has promised to redeem are redeemed from the judgment. How do we know these things going forward? Because he demonstrates them here. How do we know God judges sin? He shows it. How do we know he will provide mercy and grace? He shows it. These are the, these are the themes that are explained and lived out in your Old Testament narratives that the prophetic... Uh, the prophetic authors are building upon that the New Testament writers are then taking and expanding and applying to the world day by day. So as you're reading, this is why knowing the story 
of Scripture is so important. I'm not saying you have to have Ph.D. level knowledge of every little thing that goes on in every chapter, but understanding in general. If somebody says Genesis, okay, that's creation and Adam and Eve and the calling of Abraham and the preservation of the patriarchs. Exodus, well, that's Moses and the delivering of the people. Leviticus, that's the law. Numbers, that's where they count everybody. Deuteronomy, that's Moses expounding on the law and explaining it to the people. Joshua, that's the taking of the land and the expansion of Israel within the land. Um, Judges and Ruth, that's the working of the family lines that God is preserving. That's the apostasy of Israel and God acting in faithfulness in spite of it. Having that sort of just general understanding of the grand narrative of Scripture helps you make sense of what Paul is talking about, what James is talking about, what Peter is talking about, because they're building on those things and moving forward. Make sense? All right. Don't say this one out loud. Shh. Be very, very quiet. I've been watching too much Bugs Money cartoons with the kids this week. In the Sadducees' question, how many brothers married the same wife? Shh. You're going, why do I care to know that? Reason for the question. I don't care if you know the answer to that or not, to be perfectly honest with you. What I do care that you know is how Jesus answered the question and why he answered it that way. When you want to understand why having all of this Bible knowledge will help you in this world and help you answer challenges, take a lesson from Jesus and how he answers this question. We'll talk about that next week when we answer that question for ourselves. Anything else? Last chance I'm forgetting before we continue on with music. All right. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered alone. Worry and fear I claim for my own. Then like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Come on, Charlie. I was a fool to wander and stray, for straight is the gate and narrows the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. 
Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I said, Praise the Lord, I saw the I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I said, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Oh, 
Talk about the dangers of a Sunday morning. Mike's trying to figure out what I'm looking at because I'm looking down at James, the three-year-old, dancing around and jumping. And he finally figures that out, and he jokes, and he tries to dance and jump. I said, don't do that. You're going to break a hip because I know I almost fell. <laughs> well, if you fall, you have an excuse. He fell because he was being silly. <laughs> that would be bad. That would definitely be bad. All right. Something useful and productive this morning. Exodus chapter 20, we are returning to the law, the, the Ten Commandments, because they are of a benefit. We have seen the purely vertical components of the law, the first three commandments. There is a good argument to be made that the fourth one is primarily vertical, and I would agree, but there is a hinge there that we will cover when we get to it. As we go through that hinge in the law, we are going to begin the horizontal components of the commandments. Why? Because God cares how you live in this world. God cares about the community of his people. Why? Because God himself is communal. He is God in Trinity. One substance, one essence, as the ancient creeds would say, but three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit from eternity. Therefore, there has never been a time when God has been, for lack of a better description, alone. He has always been communal. Therefore, he cares how his people operate in community. Therefore, it matters how you live in this world. This is why sanctification is so important. And if you haven't listened to me for any length of time, then, well, if you have listened to any length of time, you know that I care about your path of sanctification. I don't want to fall into the ditch. We always talk about the ditches on both sides of the highway. The ditch on one side of the highway is legalism. We care so much about the law that we lose any concepts of grace and mercy and kindness. But the other side is that we don't care how we live in this world. That would be a problem. We want to ride down the middle, balancing the grace and mercy of God, the grace we are to provide to one another, with the holiness that God is calling us to. How does that work? Start with the standard that God provides, and he does that beginning here in Exodus chapter 20. So verses 8 through 17. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servants, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And we will pause right there. Go ahead and give you this warning. We, we are not falling off the cliff. We're going to spend a lot more time on the first two commandments we're looking at today than we are on the rest. That is intentional. We didn't run out of time. The clock didn't scare me, just so you know ahead of time. I know there are days where it feels like we spend a lot of time in one area, and then all of a sudden we try to get things done. Today, it's on purpose. I knew what I was doing and everything. <laughs> well, I won't go that but Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Remember I said this is the beginning of the hinge. This is primarily a vertical command, but it has horizontal implications. How you live in regards to God and this world matters. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. This is why the Sabbath command mattered to Israel and should still matter to God's people. What's the point of the Sabbath? Is it just so that you get a day off? No. And if you think of it like that, you have missed it entirely. We have talked about this before, but it, uh, it's worth repeating, especially since it's literally the text we're on today. In this world, if you did not grow food, care for cattle, take care of chickens or whatever it is that may be running around in your yard, what did you eat? <laughs> not typically a whole lot of stuff. I mean, you might have been able to produce. Maybe you're a really good carpenter. Or, I mean, you can't even say you're a really good plumber. They, they, didn't, they didn't really do the plumbing thing. So I guess a plumber in that day just dug the best ditches in the, in the neighborhood. There's Dave. He's the best plumber we've got. He digs a ditch better than everybody, huh? I had an English teacher in high school that complained about that. He goes, never pick on ditch diggers until you've actually had to try to dig a ditch. And he's right. It is more complicated than you would imagine. The angles, you can't just go out there and dig a hole and be like, look, I did it. Completely unrelated topic. If you don't care for it, the odds that you have enough money to buy for the daily needs of your family are slim to none. So you live what was referred to as a hand-to-mouth existence. You picked it, you grew it, you cared for it, you ate it. If that is your world, how many days off are you taking? <laughs> the temptation is to do what every single day? Go to work. And how often during the day? All the day. When do you sit down with your family? When do you teach them the precepts of God? When do you go to the city gate to conduct the business that needs to be done? The answer is, I don't. Because I'm doing what all the time? I'm working, because if I don't work all the time, what are these children and my wife and the family, what are we going to eat? Nothing. So every day you're not in the field or messing with those sheep or messing with the cattle, what are you thinking about? <laughs> What's in the field or messing with the sheep and messing with the cattle? God says, stop it. Because who are you trusting in in that moment? Well, in that moment, if you're, not, if you're living like that, you're trusting in you. You're supposed to be trusting God. Who makes those crops grow? God does. Who ensures that your cattle don't get some weird mad cow disease and all drop dead tomorrow? God does that. Who ensures the sheep don't run off and the wolves don't carry them away? God does that. Now, does that mean you don't take care of things? Didn't say that. 
But in the grand scheme of life, who protects you, who provides for you, and who causes good things to happen for you? And the answer is, it is God. This is a stark reminder of that. Hey, everybody else in the world is going to work themselves literally to death. You are going to set aside time. You are going to stop and trust that the Lord will provide for you. You are going to sit down and actually instruct your children because they are more than just laborers in the field. They are precious gifts from God, arrows for your quiver. You are going to do these things that the rest of the world thinks you are out of your mind for. Why? 1 Peter 1. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall set this day aside because God commands it, yes, but you shall set this day aside because it is good for you. It is good for your soul. And what is more important, the provision of your body or the feeding of your soul? See, you say that and you get the right answer, but what's the temptation in the world and how we live? What occupies the majority of our time? What occupies the majority of our thoughts? How many times have you ever been to work and in the middle of doing work, you're worried about your Bible reading? <laughs> How many times have you stopped reading your Bible because you're worried about something at work? See the temptation of the world? See the pull? See the draw? How many times have you forsaken a meeting at work because you had to do something with the kids? How many times have you missed something with the kids because you had to do something for work? There's the difference. The temptation in the natural course of the world is to pull you into their scheme to pull you into the work and do and accomplish and get, and that's how you live. The gospel is trying to remind you that no, time out. God provides, God strengthens, God blesses, not them. And in case you didn't get all the details and you didn't figure out exactly what a Sabbath is, God assumes we're idiots and keeps on explaining to us. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. Why add all that? Why make sure that you don't let the servants do any work either? Because let's be honest, what were you thinking if you had a couple of servants running around? I'll keep the Sabbath while they do what? They can go check the fields and worry about the cattle. No. Who are you trusting in then? Still the same problem, isn't it? So God, knowing the depravity of your heart, says no. This is not just a thing for you to make an excuse for. This is something that is a hallmark of how you, excuse me, how you live, an understanding that God provides. Psalm 104. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle. Vegetation for the labor of man, so that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine which makes man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil, and food which sustains man's heart. Jesus, building on that, telling the crowds of the Sermon on the Mount, Do not worry, then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Worry about who God is. Worry about how he calls you to live in this world. Live in that manner, and all the stuff you worry about 
as a way of managing to figure itself out and take care of itself. I got to worry about work. No, you don't. You go to work and you do the best of your ability while you're there. And then when it's time to be with your family, you know what you do? You go be with your family and you put it aside. Because if you did that, you know how much work you'd actually get done? Let, let's just be honest. How much work do we actually get done when we're at work? <laughs> Versus how much work we're supposed to get done when we're at work. <laughs> See the difference? Why? Because we slack off. Because we want to be lazy. Because we take a minute. Because we think we deserve it. But if I view that work as the means that God has provided, the grace that he has given so that I may provide for myself and provide for my family, now how do I work? I do. Not because I care more about my job, but because I care more about what? My God. I care more about the God who has given this to me, so I work as an offering unto him. Now I work better. Now I work harder. And I'm also able to do what when it's time to put it away? Focus on the right thing. To set that aside, concerned about the relationships that I've established with the people that I'm supposed to be discipling. Whether that's me, whether that's family, whether that's the neighbors, whether it, whoever it may be, I am prepared because I am walking rightly. Now, why does God give this command this way? He has a basis for it, and it's based in the work of God. Verse 11. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. The, the, the conclusion there of the creation narrative. It's not in chapter 1. It carries over to chapter 2. It's built up by Isaiah, chapter 46. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things which have not been done, been done saying, my purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass, and I have planned it, surely I will do it. Do we believe that? Does Israel believe that? Because if they do, you know what they'll take seriously? They'll take seriously the Sabbath command. They'll take seriously the trusting in the Lord, the preparing in six days, the working and the resting when God has commanded. Remember, God has been preparing them for this. What happens on the Sabbath day before this commandment to the manna? Was there manna on Saturdays? Hmm. And Israel had to learn because what did a lot of them do on Saturday morning? They went out to go get it and there wasn't any there. What do we do? You gathered what you had on Friday and you set it aside because God is preparing. God is already teaching you that he will provide and you are supposed to trust him. This has implications for your relationship with God, and this is why I call this a beginning of a hinge, because this has implications for how you live in this world. This has implications for how you tell the world that they are in second place. We do this in every, let me see, yeah, just about every seminary class I had had a little section from a professor going, all right, make sure your priorities are always in order. And you know what we're told to tell everybody our priorities always are, right? Ready for our priority list? It's God, family, and then church. So you guys are always in third place. That's what we're supposed to tell you. And you know how many churches act like that's true? <laughs> we all say we want you. We all say we want me to act like that. And you know what we really want? <laughs> we want what everybody else wants. We want the job we pay you for to come where? First, because it's human nature. It's what we do. I jokingly point that out because it's a temptation in every avenue of life. 
because in every avenue of life, we are tempted to put something else in God's throne. We are tempted to put something else in the place that he is supposed to occupy. And what the law is trying to tell you is, no, you can't do that. Who he is leads to what he does, and what he does is supposed to have an implication on how you live. Always remember that part of the gospel. All right, come around the podium. Now, this is in the notes, so be careful. This is always how this is supposed to work. We do not hope that you get cleaned up so that God will love you and save you. God loves and saves you, and his work, his power, his wisdom, his word is what begins the process of cleaning you up. This is always how it works. This is how it works here. Israel is not coming to the mountain God going, all right, you guys got this all worked out now, right? Right? No, you don't have this worked out yet. All right, fire, fire, fire. That's not how any of this has ever happened. The gospel message has been consistent from New Testament back to the garden. Is God's grace and mercy is poured out on miserable, broken people. Because, as Daryl always reminds me, that's the only kind there is. <laughs> because we are broken by sin, and it corrupts everything. What the gospel message is meant to do is to begin that cleansing process by declaring you righteous in the courts of heaven, by declaring that by God's final work you will be righteous, and in the meantime, going to work scrubbing and dismantling the false systems and false ideas that you have assembled in your mind. It's true now, and it was true then. This is why these commandments are universal and why we still look at them today. Your life, the temptation is to put everything else in the place of God. And while we rightly go, well, that's idolatry. Yes, but it's also deeper than that. Because what you're saying is, well, I've removed the idols, and, and God's in first place, and now I, now I go to work in his first place. Yeah, but you're still not dealing with your family, and you're still not dealing charitably, and you're still not offering grace, and you're still thinking it's the most important thing, and that's the problem. The gospel work and the work of sanctification influences how we walk because it changes who we are. And that begins with understanding that everything in life takes a backseat to God. Doesn't mean it's not important, doesn't mean I don't work well on it, but it takes a backseat to God. And if it can't, then it's got to die. Because if in my mind it can't take a backseat to God, you just found your biggest idol and your biggest sin problem. I haven't done this in a while. What do you do? You put it in the corner and do what? Kill it. Stab it. What are we tempted to do? We're tempted to pet it and say that it's good and say, no, 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 I'm doing this. And look. Are there times and seasons when things will be more important than they should be? Yes. Are there times and seasons when things are more of a priority than you would like them to be? Yes. But if that's the condition of your heart is where the problem comes in. If you're going, look, I'm working like a dog, and I'm working 80 hours a week right now, and I can't stand it, and I want it to be done, that's a good place to be. Because what you're saying is, I'm not going to live here forever because I can't live here forever. The danger is when you're there and you don't see anything wrong and you don't see what is the problem because what you have done is misordered your life and all the things that are good and right and holy are taking a backseat so that we can progress in this world. That becomes a breakdown. Now, number two, I told you we spent a lot of time in these first couple. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is deeper than we think and realize most of the time. Fast forward to your New Testament. Paul quotes from this, Ephesians chapter 6. 
We like this one better because there's more direct language. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, the reason I like to point that out, the promise matters because this has implications for both sides. Does that commandment mean you get to look at the kids and go, do what I say or else? There are days you wish it would. (laughs) But always remember, I'm the guy who's always telling you that because I said so is never the right answer. Ever. It's never the right answer. And what astounded me growing up as a kid is I was was raised by two pagans. Well, all non-believers are pagans. That's just the end of the conversation. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not apologizing for that. I was raised by a lapsed Catholic who, my father was an interesting character. He still had the scars on his knuckles from the nuns in elementary school. They actually still did that when he was a kid. Because dad, uh, see, dad was born in 48, so you're, you're talking 50s in, um, in New York and Connecticut. They, they could still whack you if you got out of line for punishment. And he actually still had the marks on, on his knuckles from the rulers. He hated the church. And my mother's answer was her Methodist parents drug her to church every time the doors were open, and she swore once she was old enough to never go back, she wouldn't, and she basically didn't. So when I say I was raised by two pagans, that's, that's my background. They understood this concept, because anytime I asked why, I always got an actual answer, which was bizarre, because my dad had a temper like you wouldn't believe, and he hated answering questions. But if it was about something that he was instructing, he was okay with it. I'll never understand that. Christian, that's where we're supposed to be. Are there emergency times when you just need the kid to listen? Yes. Your tone and the situation around you should be enough to communicate that. But you should be able to explain at some point down the road what? Why that was an emergency and why we needed to be in a hurry. You should always be able to explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. If you don't have a reason for the rule that you're making, you know what you've just made? You've made a dumb rule. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. Dumb rules, making dumb rules is is doing dumb things. And you know who I have this conversation all the time with? Yeah, Cameron and I are always having this conversation. Why can't we do that? Why can't they do that? And the answer is, I don't know why they can't do it. I just don't want them to do it right now. Well, that's not really a great reason now, is it? So we end up doing letting them do things we don't want them to do simply because there's no good reason they can't do it. But this is part of what this matters, and this is part of how we're supposed to live. Now, if you are looking at me and going, my kids are grown, they're out of the house, or I don't have any kids, You're not off the hook. Because what is this an aspect of? Why do we have horizontal components of the commandments? Because God is what? Communal. And you don't have any kids, but you know what's sitting in the back over there? Pile of them. Some of them are mine. And when they do something dumb, you know, if I'm not around, you know what I want you to do? (laughs) If need be, Barton's like, Yes, excellent. (laughs) I choose violence this day. (laughs) Can't take you anywhere. I want you to explain to them what's wrong with it and why it's wrong. I'm not going to be mad at you if my kids are doing something wrong and you come to me and said, they were doing this and I told them to stop it. Thank you. And I told them why they can't do it. Double thank you. And I told them not to do it again. Yes. That's because why? Because they need to hear it from more than just me. They need to hear it from other godly people that care about the direction of their lives because they are trying to get them to walk in the same paths that I'm trying to get them to walk. This is what Scripture is about, Colossians 3. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We always like that one, and we never like the next one. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. You mean I can't just annoy the tar out of them anytime I feel like it? No, no, I can't. Why not? Because it's not good for them. It doesn't teach them to honor and to love and respect. It teaches them to fear and to doubt. This builds on what Moses talked about. Deuteronomy, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, frontals on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Cameron and I actually took this one literally for a little while. We had people thought we were out of our minds because I was actually on a wall in our house. I was writing um, a quick summary of every chapter of the New Testament. So I literally wrote on the wall in marker, Matthew 1, and then a little summary of Matthew 1, just like birth of Jesus and genealogy, and then Matthew 2. And just went through all of that because I thought it was, it, it was helpful. It helped put into perspective everything that's going on in every chapter of Scripture. When we moved, I think we had gotten into Paul's letters, and just written on the wall. And it was awesome because you know who was learning to read? My son. And what was he learning? Because it's right there. He literally couldn't miss it. It was literally a dining room wall, and it was you know, just the whole thing. We started at the very top in the corner. We were going all the way down. You know, different color markers. Actually, had one of the markers give out on me about mid-Luke. So. But why did that matter? Because it puts it in front of him. Why do we give kids children's Bibles that they can read, even though they're not really faithful to the text? Because it gets the point across. Why do we do Sunday school lessons where we just want them to learn what's in the chapters? For the same reason I explained doing the trivia question. It's a blessing to you to be able to do what? Explain baseline. What's in Genesis? What's in Exodus? What's 1 Samuel about? What's 1 Kings about? To be able to just give a quick little summary. You want to be able to disciple children when you see them? Just put, I hate, you know I hate this term because the technical theological term is they are narrative. It's historical narrative. So the book of Genesis is a historical narrative. Let's be honest, what do we tell the kids it is? It's time for their new Bible story. And it, every time I say it, there's this little thing in the back of my head that just goes like this, and it twitches. And I can't make it stop, but I still end up saying it anyway because it's just it's, it's part of what it is. Give them the stories. Let them know that there's Adam and Eve and how that flows into what goes on with Noah and how that flows into what goes on with Abraham so that when they get older and the connections start firing and the neurons all start to make sense and you realize that they're actually becoming young adults, there's a baseline and a foundation that they can build upon. That's what, Deuteronomy, what Moses is getting on in Deuteronomy. That's what this is about. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Because the assumption is your father and your mother are doing what? This. See why this comes right after the Sabbath command? Where God basically goes, take time. Go home. Be a part of your family and your community. And don't work yourself to death. Because you have to explain this and expound on this. And this works best when it works together. I don't know everything. As hard as that is to admit. Hey, I heard that. That's my wife giggling in the back. See what I got to live with? Yeah, where's Jonathan when you need him, right? He does know everything. He's back in Detroit, yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, I don't know everything. So there are going to be situations that come up where I'm going to go, how do you handle this one? Oh, no. Got to go think about it for a second. And you may be like, oh, I was there once. Thank you in advance. That's how the community of faith is supposed to work. That's how these things are supposed to come together. Always say this. Where's your first ministry? It's at home. Ephesians 5. 
be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's your starting point. That's where your ministry begins. And that walking out is done at home. It's done at church. It's done at work. It's done at Walmart. It's done wherever it is that you may go. Believe it or not, when we talk about at home, you know one of the places that gets that should be included in that home? Here. Hi, we're family. You get to come to the reunion once a month when we have lunch. That's why we have it. That's how this works. This is part of home. This is part of how we walk. This is where we encourage. This is why every Sunday morning, well, we're late for Sunday school. <laughs> and you guys all laugh at me. Because it's supposed to start at 9.15. None of you get here at 9.15. And I've just come to grips with that, and I'm okay with it. And by 9.30, when we typically try to start it, it still typically doesn't start. We get started around 9.45. Why? Because you guys are all sitting out there eating donuts and drinking coffee, talking to each other. And you know who makes who, whose heart is glad when he sees that? Me. Because it's you guys hanging out. It's why when we do men's Bible study and we start at 6, we never actually get started at 6. Because what are we doing? We're talking and seeing what's going on in the world. By the time we get started, it's 6.45. You tip, yeah, and I'm trying to get us to say, I've whittled us down to 6.45. I've gotten us to starting at 6.45. I'm trying to get us closer to 6.30. But why? Because we're talking about what's going on in the world and what's going on in our lives and how does this impact us. We're doing good things, dealing with one another, helping, encouraging, instructing, sometimes picking on Jonathan, but that, that, that's encouraging. He needs that. Jonathan needs that every bit. This is how Christian living is supposed to work. We're supposed to know what's going on in the world. We're supposed to know what's going on in each other's world so that we can go, oh, I have that answer. Or, hey, you, come here. This happened. Come here. Because he has the answer. Or they have the answer. Or we, however, because we work together to encourage, to instruct, and to build up. Why? Because that's how the gospel is always meant to spread. That's how it was always meant to spread. It works from the bottom up. It works from the knowledge that we accumulate, being expanded into wisdom, being instructed to others, and being pushed forward. Now, yeah, well, yeah, see, that's the breakdown, though. When we borrow from the world, what do we say? What does the world say? Get good leadership in place. Get people that know what they're doing, can lead the masses. And we've done this for 30 years in church. I, I am, I will, all right, you ready? Confession time. I am terrible at all of these conferences and meetings that, that, that they ask me to go to and that I try to attend. Because you know what half of them are on? Leadership. Do you know how many leadership verses there are in the Bible? Zero. There's none. I've been go I have gone to more seminars and associational meetings where they have told me how Nehemiah is a book on leadership. I want to scream at somebody. Because the Bible doesn't care about leadership. The Bible cares about faithfulness. As Christians seeking to follow God, you know who you'll follow? Somebody who's faithfully following God. Follow faithfulness. You want people to follow after you in godliness? What should you do? Be faithful. Walk in godliness. And people that are seeking to do the same will do what? They will follow after you. We make it from a top-down model. As long as we get the right leadership in place and we create the right structures and we put the right teams in place and da 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 da, da and then everything works. And you know what? It doesn't. It may work in a corporate setting. Maybe at the end of the day, in a corporate setting, if you put all the structure in place and the product is garbage, how's it going to work? We do this years ago in another lifetime. 
I was in a high school classroom teaching social studies. And you know what? You gave me great administrators and a great office and an awesome support staff. If I'm terrible at my job, you know what's going to happen to those kids in my classroom? They're not going to learn because I'm terrible at my job. Conversely, give me terrible administration and horrible office support, but give me an awesome teacher. And you know what's going to happen in that classroom? Kids are going to learn. Why? Because you have somebody who's being faithful. And who do the students know? Trust me, you want to have some fun? Go grab your kids and ask them who the good teachers are. Not the ones they like the best, but the actual good teachers are. You know what they'll know? They know who they all are. They know who the ones that they like, the ones who care, the ones who teach. They know who they are. And they also conversely know the ones who aren't. Doesn't matter how great the structure is or how wonderful it is. It's a matter of how the individuals are working together. Same is true in life. Most important thing you need is to have faithful people around you walking in faithfulness. That's what Israel was being commanded here. Honor your father and mother because they're supposed to be walking in faithfulness and you honor them. Doesn't always mean you listen to everything that they say because unfaithful people will tell you bad things. And when they do that, what do you do? You call them crazy lying heretics who are going to rot in hell, right? No, that would be dishonoring them. You disagree respectfully. You disagree honorably. And you do what? Walk faithfully. Now, this is why I mentioned last week that rebellion is always a matter of somebody's sin. Because if kids are running wild in a household, it may not be the parent's sin, it may be the kid's sin. But that tells me that the parents haven't addressed the kid's sin. It tells me that something has been allowed to take root in somebody's life and foster. What do we do now? Repent, address the sin, and move on. Trusting in whose work? God's grace that covers, the Holy Spirit that empowers, the son who is sacrificed. I can't change your mind, can't change your heart, but God can. And by my faithfulness and by my faithful proclamation, I can put the tools in front of you by which you will understand the hope that God provides and hopefully walk in it. So, thus ends all of our hinges. I'm almost tempted to ask if you have questions, but I don't, because I don't want to because you might actually have them. And then we'll be completely off the rails and we'll never get anything done. So, now begins the rapid-fire portion of the program. You shall not murder. Well, why not? See, you should ask dumb questions like that every once in a while because it puts things in perspective. Well, the answer is because life matters to God. Genesis chapter 9. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for he is in the image of God. Why does God care about life like that? Because he's the author of it. Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness, O Lord, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their full in the, of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Because God is the author of life, he is also the one who gives and takes account for it. Not you. Deuteronomy 32. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. See, real quick, the NASB gets this one right. Yay, go team! 
there are actually two Hebrew words for killing people. There's multiple words, but there is killing people and there is murdering people, and there is a difference between those two things. You guys get that, right? So our soldiers sent off to war by a rightful government murdering people when they engage in combat. No, they are engaged in killing people. They are not engaged in murdering people. Now, if they go into a village and start gunning down women and children, are they killing people? Now they're murdering them. There's a, you, you understand the distinction. So does your Bible. Always remember this. Your Bible is okay with the death penalty. God's the one who invented it. Back in Genesis 9. You shed blood, blood will be shed. The commandment here is not to murder. Defend yourself. Defend your family. Defend your neighbors. Defend your loved ones. Defend your church. Do all of those things. Do not murder. Do not act in anger. Do not strike out. Do not lash out. It is not your job to take vengeance. God's job is to take vengeance. God's job is to enact judgment. When he calls down to you and tells you to do it, then you have my blessing. Go ahead. I'm not worried about that because I don't think God's calling down to you anytime soon to tell you to go whack somebody like this is a bad mob movie. And none of you are in government, which is the authority of humanity that has been given the sword. Government gets the authority to do that from God because that is the authority that God has placed in this world, not upon us. That's why we have a legal system. As painful as it may be, Christian, we're called to trust it, to walk through it, to live in this world knowing that God is the author, defender, and judge. Meaning when we're wronged, we don't take vengeance. God does, because he's the one who preserves his people, not us. Him and him alone. You shall not commit adultery. Why not? Well, because marriage matters to God. Why? He came up with it. Genesis chapter 2. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, this is when you know culture is going completely off the rails. If I picked you up naked and put you in the middle of Times Square, what would you first do? <laughs> Have you been to New York lately? <laughs> I challenge that supposition there, Denny. <laughs> the first thing you would do is what? Go find a newspaper or the trash blown or something to cover up. Why? Because, this, because you know it is instinctive that you know that you're not supposed to be. Naked. Look, you do this with little kids, right? They get out of the tub when they're like a year and a half, two years old, and you go, you're naked. What do they do? They, t they cover up and take off running like their rear ends are suddenly on fire because it's just instinctive inhumanity. Why? Because it's a reminder of your sin. Where is the one place you are not supposed to be like that? It's in marriage in front of a spouse that you have joined to in one flesh. That is the one place you are supposed to be able to take off your clothes and not be like, you're not supposed to see me like this. No, wait, no, you are supposed to see me like this. Yay, go team. <laughs> you, you see the mockery I have to deal with? The respect that I engender in my household? <laughs> the blushing that is occurring behind that table? See that I can. <laughs> I laugh, but this is why God ordains these things and why they matter to him. To violate that is to bring 
the covering for sin and to remove it. This is why we still wear clothing and why predominantly every human civilization, I said predominantly, don't bring me the National Geographic from like 1972 that has that one tribe. Don't, don't, don't do that. Humanity is predominantly the first thing we do is what? We cover up. I, I get a laugh. You guys laugh at me over this, but one of my daughter's favorite television shows is, um, is, is it on Discovery Channel? I don't even know what channel it's on because we got the Discovery Plus thing and I don't even pay attention. But yeah, yeah so I said we got the Discovery Plus thing, so I don't know what channel anything's on anymore. But my daughter loves the show Naked and Afraid, where they take two people and drop them off in the middle of nowhere and then they try to survive. And you know what the first thing those people try to do is most of the time? Make some coverings because they're like, I'm just tired of being out here but naked to the world, and it's frustrating. So they try to make some shoes so their feet don't hurt, and they try to cover up. So, they, I mean, and the the introduction is the most hysterical part because they're like, "Good to meet you. How are you? Uh, oh, you want a hug? Okay." Because there's something innate that it's just odd and it's bizarre and it's broken. Why? Because it connects back to the institution that God has made. Where is the shame removed? Where is the worry about who I am as a person removed in the most intimate relationship that God can establish between two human beings, which is supposed to be marriage? That's why Jesus talked about it in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So you notice the flaw in the question. And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's where you need a good old King James, right? You had that red at your wedding. Let no man tear asunder. Just sounds like you said something really important there. Again, why? Because a change in this commandment. A change in this is a violation of what God is establishing that is good and right for humanity. It's a change in what God has established in a way that is meant to preserve community, both societally and ecclesially, so out in the world and in the church, in a way that the gospel message is most clearly proclaimed. I mean, let, let's be honest. Who do you want your children to hear the gospel from? If they hear it from somebody else and be like, why didn't you tell me that? How do you feel? Do you feel proud suddenly? No, you're like, Ugh. how do you ensure that? By creating stability in the family. By the way, if you're wondering how serious this was, Leviticus chapter 20. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. God was serious. Why? What's the best way to ensure commandment five is fulfilled? Honoring father and mother. Prolonging their time in the land. It's to establish what? Solid, stable families. Look, you want to have some fun with statistics, go look up. I, I, I'm an amateur sociologist for, for, for no good reason, so I pay attention to these things because apparently I have too much free time. Go look up statistics on life achievement, college graduation rates, high school graduation right, rates, literacy rates, lifetime income from people from broken families, and then compare it to people that grew up in two-parent households. You know what you're going to find, don't you? Always. As somebody, again, who was in a classroom for a, for a short period in another lifetime, Statistically speaking, do you know what the number one driver of academic success is for students? 
parental involvement. You give me two parents that care about a kid, you know what you're going to get? A kid who works and cares. Give me two parents that don't care about a kid, you know what you're typically going to get? You, just, you, you get a whatever. This is why the breakdown in society always starts with a breakdown in families. Sin corrupts. It corrupts from the bottom up because that's how the world is built. Our found, the foundations of government are not built upon the brilliance of our documents. They're built upon what? They're built upon the people that they're supposed to serve. You want to have good government? Have what? Have good people. You want to have godly government? You must first have godly people. You want to have a godly community? Just walk into a neighborhood and sprinkle some pixie dust, and now everybody's godly. No, you put a godly family in there. And then what happens? They disciple another family, which disciples another family. And you go a few years down the road, now what have you got? Now I've got a godly community. And then that community does what? This is how the gospel was always worked and how it was always meant to work. This is why this commandment matters so much, is it preserves not just what God has made because he cares about it, but because it influences how we function, how his kingdom is built, and how his gospel message spreads. You shall not steal. I won't ask the dumb question this time. The answer is because God cares about stuff. Why does God care about stuff? James 1. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God cares about the stuff because he gave you the stuff. Who are the ones who care about the stuff too much? We do. We care too much. We're more worried about it than we're supposed to be. That's why Ecclesiastes tells you, I considered all my activities which my hands had done, the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. I'll never forget the look on my mother-in-law's face. I didn't say it. We were, um, she, her and my father-in-law had come to help Cameron and I clean out my mother's house after my mother passed away and had this dumpster delivered because I knew I didn't want anything in the house, and she had lived with a couple of dogs and a couple of cats, and everything was just, you know that smell that cats get into the whole house? And so we had the dumpster, and I'm just like, I have nowhere to put this. It's not good quality. We can't even take it to the, there was a store in town called Thieves Market, which was a resale place. You donate the furniture, and then they, they buy it from you, and then they, they buy it from you on the cheap and then sell it. They wouldn't even take half of the stuff, and so they're throwing in the dumpster. Mother-in-law's going, well, I can clean that up, and I'll take that, and I'll clean this. And she had an entire pickup truck. My father-in-law's work truck came. It was a, an extended bed pickup truck for, for farm work that he has. And she had it full and stacked above the cab with stuff from the house. And we're still throwing stuff in the dumpster. And she's like, well, don't you want this, and don't you want that, and don't you want this? And I'm like, no, I really don't. And I'm trying to be polite because she's not my mother. So I let Cameron do the dirty work this time, and she did. And Cameron goes, Mama, Jesus is going to come back, and it's all going to burn. <laughs> and she was just like, and she was looking at all the stuff in the back of her truck, and she was just like, fine, put it in the dumpster. <laughs> and then she's taking stuff out of the back of the truck and putting it in the dumpster, and I'm just like, your mother, I can stay home at Christmas, so, you know, I'm okay. What was the lesson, though? At the end of the day, what is it? stuff. It doesn't matter. Who gives it value? We do. That's the joke. I, I got this baseball card. It's worth whatever you can get some fool to pay you for it. It's, it in and of itself has no value. And I say that as somebody who collected baseball cards as a kid. I thought it was the coolest thing. One day they're all going to be worth something. <sighs> no, they're not. We care too much. What's the lesson supposed to be? Paul, Philippians 4, 
I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Why? Because who's he working for? He's working for God. So when God gives me abundance, I praise God. When God doesn't give me enough, I praise God. When God gives me everything that I need, I serve him. When he doesn't give me everything that I need right now, I serve him. Knowing what? That God will provide, and if he doesn't, then there's a purpose, there's a reason, and I walk in faith in him. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, because God cares about truth. Why? John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Deuteronomy 32. The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness who is without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. God is the truth. Therefore, he cares about it. We walk in truth because we're supposed to walk in God. We're supposed to walk in godliness. Therefore, we walk in the truth. To not walk in the truth is to be with the other guy. John 8. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Remember our lesson from last week. Reject God, you reject wisdom, and when you reject wisdom, you will live how? And idolatry. Fun with Russian history, you ready? There's a guy you should probably learn more about in today's world. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian dissident, wrote a great pamphlet when he got out of Russia called Live Not By Lies. And what was the point he's trying to make? It wasn't just that the government lied to us. It wasn't just that the newspapers, it wasn't just that Pravda lied to us. It was what? Everything was a lie. The way we talked to each other about the government was a lie. The way that we talked to each other about the news was a lie. And the heart needs to do what? Live not by lies. Why would a godless communist system demand that people live by lies? Just gave you the answer, didn't I? Because it's a godless system. Therefore, it demands what? It demands that you live by allegiance to anything but God. And that includes living by anything but the truth. I don't care what the lie is. As long as you live by some lie, you're living by a good lie. That's the world system. Remember, the pull constant tug and drag away from truth, away from light, away from godliness. And then finally, wrap it all up. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Because at the end of the day, this is what matters most. Where is coveting? No, no, no. Where is it? Yes, it's in the heart. See, murdering you is where? It's out there. Adultery is where? It's, it's there. There's another person involved. Stealing is outside of me. Even lying is outside of me. It's something that I'm doing. It's something that I'm engaged in. Coveting brings it all home because it's where? It's in here. James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, why do I murder? Because I'm mad at you. I hate you. I'm taking vengeance. I'm doing something. It starts where? Why did I take from you? Because I wanted it and you had it. And I couldn't obtain it by any other means, so I did what? But I committed adultery because I wasn't happy here and I thought I'd be happy over there. So I did what to myself? I lied to me. And I did what? See, it all starts in here. This is the argument why we kill sin and why how you think and how you walk and how you live matters so much. Because all of the things that we worry about start in the heart. This is why I say, if I want to change your actions, I don't make another law. Making another law is a waste of my time. What I need to do is get the gospel in place. Because if I want to change your actions, I have to change your thinking. And if I want to change your thinking, I have to change what you want. And the only thing that's going to change what you want is the work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel message. Now, I can back that up with how I live, but it starts with what I proclaim, what I instruct, what I teach, who I point you towards. Hopefully, I point you towards two people. I point you towards God, and I point you towards me as I walk towards him. doesn't mean I walk perfectly, but I try to walk faithfully, which means as I fall short, I know that Christ will pick me up. See, this is why I say this sums this all up. The war against the pull of the world. It's the war against idolatry. The war against the denigration of life. The war against the destruction of God's unions. The, the war against the taking of his gifts. The war against the lies of the enemy. The war against the schemes that are fighting for your soul. They're all summed up where? In the human heart. This is why Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 that your, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against invisible powers and authorities. That's why all of your weapons are what? Are you told to take up sword and spear? Metaphorically, yes. You're told to take up what? Faith and hope and charity and the word and to walk in all of these things. Proverbs 7 gives you a rundown. My sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. She's the wicked woman, by the way, the symbol of the lack of wisdom and godliness. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims that she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is a way to the grave, descending to the chambers of death. See, the entirety of Proverbs is what? Wisdom. Live wisely. Why? So that you will fear God rightly, walk in his wisdom, and know evil for what it is and turn from it. That's the goal of wise living in Proverbs. That's why Proverbs aren't promises. They're guidelines. How you should apply knowledge in the world. So that when you see something that is against knowledge and wisdom, you go, and go the right way. Got to make sure you guys are paying attention every once in a while. It's an encouragement to stand firm in the truth of who God is and how he calls us to live in this world. And remember, I'm explaining this to you the way that I'm explaining it because the assumption is that you already love the God who saved you and are being empowered by his Holy Spirit. If you're not, then everything I have said this morning is a complete waste of your time because you can't do it. You can't will this. You accomplish this not by force of will and power of wisdom. You accomplish this by surrender. Surrender of your mind, surrender of your heart, surrender of your actions to the will of God. Surrender of your sin to the cross of Christ. 
Surrender of your will to the will of God. Surrender of your desires to the sanctification and holiness that God calls you to walk in. That's the first step, and that's the step we continue to take each and every morning. This is the beauty of Christian living. We never outgrow the gospel. Ever. We never outgrow it. Because while we understand the entrance point, the repentance of sin, turning from my sins, trusting that Christ is forgiven and that he will redeem, I have to be reminded of that on a regular basis. Because again, what do we get? It's that pull. And what's the cure for that pull? Romans 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And how do I renew my mind? By having my desires changed by the Spirit. And how do I get the Spirit strengthened? By remembering the work that Christ has done and the promises that he has given, so that I will walk in faithfulness to him. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the good law that you have given, for the teaching of how we accomplish righteousness, for the strengthening of our hearts by your spirit, for the girding of our souls for the battles of this place. Lord, we fall short so often, and by your grace and by your mercy we stand. By your grace and by your mercy, we continue to walk. We pray, Lord, that your strength will abound because we know your work will not fail. We ask that you would strengthen us, that we would do the hard things, Lord, forsaking the world, forsaking our sin, trusting in you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. song echoes in my soul I hear the music ring and though the storms may come I am molding on to the rock I cling how can I keep from singing your praise how can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to see. I will live my eyes in the darkest night for I know my Savior lives and I will walk with you knowing you'll see me through and sing the songs you give how can I keep from singing your praise how can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? 
How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. I can sing in the troubled times, sing when I win. I can sing when I lose my stuff and fall down again. I can sing cause you pick me up, sing cause you there. I can sing cause you hear me, Lord, when I call to you in prayer. I can sing with my last breath, sing for I know I'll sing with the angels and the saints around the throne. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to see. Yeah, I can see. Oh, I can see. couple quick reminders church council stick around the meeting will be next door um concert saturday here six o'clock lunch uh, next sunday after church so bring a dish even if you don't bring a dish you are welcome to stay we appreciate it let's pray again lord as we leave this place we ask that you'd strengthen us ground us in your word that we would know the truth walking in the truth trusting in your power to carry us home in christ's name we pray amen <laughs>